this week on the Divided Opinion Podcast. This episode, we're basically going to react to game week one. We're going to talk about both of our player of the week. Then we're going to go into our predictions for game week two. Well, I think that's it, though. For me, I need to see a tangible return. So I know there is a method to the madness, because at the moment, it does look like madness. can overshadow what everyone else is doing and what what you're trying to do as a group and where you're trying to get to especially when it's someone like the captain it's that's a, that's a big thing that he's done and it's a big decision that he's made it might sound boring but i've also gone one one You haven't got Salah, have you? No. Have you got Sock? No. Lad, you are clueless. You what? are clueless. Though. What? I've got. You need either Salah or Son. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Divided Opinion Podcast. My name is Joel, and as always, Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? Keeping cool over there? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's just um, slowly creeping upon me. So, ask me in about 20 minutes. Yeah, we've got Westy on strict orders not to have a fan on this episode. So, we'll see how that goes for him. <laughs> um, luckily, it's audio only for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you won't want to see me right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're going to go... Well, this episode, we're basically going to react to game week one. All the games, uh, what our kind of main kind of takeaways we took from the first weekend of the Premier League. We're going to talk about both of our player of the week. Then we're going to go into our predictions for game week two. Talk about a little bit about every game. And then we're going to have a little segment on transfer talk. Or just a few rumours floating about, including Frankie De Jong and Aubameyang. Are they going to Chelsea? Then we've got alternatives to De Jong for Manchester United. The Wesley Fofana latest, etc, etc. And then we're going to finish the show on a new segment. The FPL Hangover. And I think a hangover is, is the right word for, for you, Westy. You didn't have the best week, did you, on FPL? Um, I think we'll get into that later on, mate. Yeah, we'll get into that later on. Um, yeah, let's get straight into it. We're going to start with the first game of the 2022-23 Premier League season. Crystal Palace at home to Arsenal. Obviously, Arsenal winning 2-0. A Martinelli header and a Gwehi own goal after a deflected effort from Saka were enough for Arsenal to... To start, the, well, if we go back to the start of the game, I think they, they started like prime Man City, uh, Arsenal. I think the first kind of 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, was kind of every everything we'd expected going off of their pre-season. I think a lot of people expected Palace to be potential stumbling block for them. because It's a tough place to go, isn't it, Selhurst Park, first game? Yeah. Obviously, what, what were you, were you as impressed as, say, I was with Arsenal? Yeah, I think they looked looked far more resolute in general, sort of back to front, looked more of a unit than they did last season, despite obviously last season we saw improvements at times and especially attacking wise with the with the players that they have, but they always sort of just with what happened in the Champions League, it always the defence sort of lacked in the end and let them down. But I think with Saliba in there obviously he was outstanding on his full debut. Yeah. So I think he made a massive difference and he sort of 
despite being the youngest out of the three defenders in there, he sort of looked like he was the the more experienced one, and he was guiding the other two. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think it's a good solid start, but I think tougher tests will obviously away, and I think with Palace, you could tell that they'd had a very short pre-season. Obviously, a few of them mm. players had only been back, I think, a few days, people like Zaha. So, yeah, yeah I mean, still obviously, regardless of Palace's, um, how how they were physically, Arsenal yeah. definitely were, were more than worthy of a win. And it's still, nevertheless, a really tough place to go. Mm. They didn't have COVID issues, Palace. Like they could, they had a load of players that couldn't travel yeah. on their preseason tour. Is that right? Yeah, it was in. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I remember United playing them in Australia a few weeks ago, and they probably had one or two, two or three first team players, and the rest of them were all sort of under twenty threes and academy players. It was really mm-hmm. strange, actually. Yeah, I heard them saying on commentary that they had a like split camps, and yeah, that's going to be really costly, really, when it comes to the start of the season and. The, you, that's I think you do see that first game of the season you see how well prepared these teams are I mean obviously and whether they've had a good pre-season whether they haven't whether it's rushed anyway sticking with Arsenal I think the new signings obviously Alexander Zinchenko and Jesus kind of slotted in seamlessly uh, Zinchenko obviously got the assist for the goal yeah. the first goal and then a goal contribution was kind of the only thing missing for Jesus' performance really impressive I think one thing I identified was and something that I think that Arteta is desperately trying to implement into his team is this rotational positioning. So the Zinchenko signing is the most, the kind of the biggest example of this. And you saw him with Xhaka and you see them rotating. Zinchenko goes into centre midfield and Xhaka drops into the left back position almost. And then they continue to do that. I just thought that was quite an interesting thing and something yeah. that obviously Arteta has looked to employ through his recruitment. I think another thing that impresses me with Arsenal, and it's something that I saw last season against Leicester, is they went like 2 0 up against us really early on. And I know they obviously they got the early goal against Palace, but they've got the flexible as in they can go after teams and play like a Man City or maybe not, maybe less so a Liverpool, but like starve teams of possession and keep possession and just continue to play the ball around the edge of the area, create gaps, pull players out of position. But they also can sit in and frustrate their opponent. And I think we saw that against Palace in the second half. And yeah. that I think it, with Arteta, what I've come to know, and I've seen a few episodes of this um, Amazon Prime um, documentary, It's All or Nothing, it is interesting. I think with a lot of him, it, I think it, I'll look back on it and watch it again. If there's success, if he's successful, you look back on all these weird methods and you think, right, he had a point. But at the moment, because he's not, substantiated anything he's not backed anything up with any trophies I know he's won an FA Cup but in terms of like Champions League qualification or challenging for a Premier League title or whatever it's quite hard to I don't know what your thoughts are on that Amazon Prime documentary have you seen it? Yeah well, I've watched um, how many are out at the moment? I've only watched three but I think there might only be there were three yeah there were only three out yeah no but yeah I, mean, I don't know he sort of I do like Arteta to an extent um yeah, I think some of the, the the points he was making and the the methods he was using, you could tell some of the players looked a little bit puzzled at times. He yeah. sort of gives me some sort of like David Brent vibes off the office, the way he sort of handles. You but you obviously you can tell you can you can tell he's very intelligent and there's a clear method to to his madness, so to speak. 
Well, I think that's it, though. For me, I need to see a tangible return so I know there is a method to the madness because at the moment it does look like madness. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you're watching You'll Never Walk Alone be played. Yeah, I mean, that was that anyway, was a really weird one. That was a weird one. Yeah. I've seen one, a preview for the next episode. It's an Ivan Tony tweet. Do you know when he tweeted? What did he tweet? Um, oh, a good kick about or something like that. I can't remember what he said. He was just yeah. clowning Arsenal, basically. Um, and Arteta was showing that to the players before the next game or before when they played Brentford, Brentford in the reverse fixture <laughs> um, I think going off Crystal Palace obviously, I think it was slightly concerning but kind of you can't really take too much of the game such was um, Arsenal's quality really I think we'll, we'll look more into them later on like maybe in the later games I think creativity, like creativity centrally I know they've got Eze but I just Jeffrey Schlupp in midfield. I just don't really know how it's ever happened. I mean, as, as obviously he was at Leicester, and we used to play him left back up front, and kind of the the attributes you'd associate with a midfielder, so like composure, kind of comfort, like being comfortable in possession, decision making, are yeah. not attributes that I'd I'd put on him. I mean, Palace fans, correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, you watch him more than me now, but. Decore obviously it's going to take him time to adapt to the Premier League he's still young I think I didn't see any kind of real red flags in no. the last game against Arsenal but he, he, there were a few times where space was left etc Arsenal were over top position Eze was disappointing don't you not think I know what you mean and it feels like we're, we're sort of waiting forever with Eze I know he had that really bad Achilles injury but obviously everyone always talks about his time at QPR and stuff and he's obviously got bags of talent but every time I watch him he's just thinking just want more from you do you know what I mean he's yeah he's, it's just... he needs to offer more of a return doesn't he goals definitely. assists definitely but he, he is a top player and he is someone that Palace really need to bring together all the talent of Zaha's and the the Elise's your man uh, a boy yeah. came on didn't he yeah he, I mean I think he should have started to be honest but mm. yeah yeah It'll, yeah, it'll yeah. come. Well, that's for another day. It'll come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be keeping an eye on him. I was very happy that Saliba did so well. I mean, I know it's hardly a a kind of niche shout, but he did well. And I did call him out to be my player to watch for the whole season, might I add. Not just Arsenal. We'll move on to Liverpool now. Obviously, yeah, it was just a lax performance from, from Klopp's side. Obviously, you can take nothing away from Fulham. We'll start with Fulham first. I mean, for me, obviously, I don't know if you did. Did you get managed to watch the game? Uh, yeah, I watched the yeah. two-thirds of it. Yeah, so for me, the main thing that stood out with Fulham is just their midfield. I think you had Reed providing kind of ta- tenacity in midfield, Harrison Reed, Right, so, yeah, and then you had obviously Jao Paulini, the new signing in midfield, like kind of anchoring the midfield, but he is that Paulini looks really impressive. and mm. It's a massive signing that for Fulham, and it is someone that could 100% keep you up. Like He's that good. Yeah. He can... He knows when to instigate the press. He knows when to sit in. And he looks, to be honest, he looks, again, like just another one of these players that someone like a Man United or a Liverpool would, would snap your hand off for. It's so um, strange. And obviously, it? Andreas Pereira as well played really well in that attacking, like in an advanced role. And he was straight on Fabinho and he didn't let Liverpool settle. He didn't let them kind of create their, their attacking build-up like they mm. used, like they, yeah, they usually afforded. Yeah, I thought Fulham were really impressive. Is there anything you want to add, wanted to add about? Fulham? Yeah, no, I thought. I think the thing that impressed me most, um, sorry, messed, impressed me the most. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you. sorry, there, listeners. Um, 
was how the 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 little the lack of respect Fulham showed Liverpool. I thought it was fantastic. Sort of yeah, flying exactly. into tackles, they were giving them no time. Paulinho, I saw a bit in the first half where Thiago was giving one of his little shoulder drops and his step overs, and Paulinho just went, "No, I'm not having that," and just straight through him. Yeah. And I think that is how these teams that are coming up, they you need to sort of play against these big teams. You've got to be straight onto them, and it's when you sit back and and you let them play your way, they're going to pick you off four or five nil. So I thought Fulham did really well in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I thought, like you said, Andres Pereira, I mean, probably one of the worst players I've ever seen in the Man United shirt, but he did really well. On... And that takes some doing, that. Yeah, that takes some doing. yeah it does take some doing. Um, <laughs> but no, I think in general, I think what struck me the most about Liverpool, though, was uh, I think they did look a little bit leggy after the Community Shield game, but I just, I think there was a bit of a... Um, sort of complacency crept in for Liverpool it's mm. almost like some games I don't think you get it with Manchester City really Man, that's the difference between the two teams Manchester City don't need that complacency because they're so good and they mm. treat mo- every game almost the same but I think Liverpool on I don't know it just it just. It... Well, I thought I thought coming into this season I thought it was going to just be more of the same for Liverpool I thought they were literally just going to carry on what they did I mean that run they had towards the back end of last season just incredible. I mean, I can't. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was a ridiculous kind of winning run, unbeaten run. I just don't really understand why they're so leggy. I, it doesn't seem like something that Klopp would leave to chance, and it just seems like the bare minimum in a Klopp team is is fitness. And Liverpool have always been the fittest team in the league. Mm. Obviously, I think I was right in saying that they were saying that Klopp arranged a friendly the next day then can- against yeah. Villa. Then cancelled it. Did they cancel it? Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know what the thought was behind that and I don't know if that suggests that like we were saying earlier that they had had a problematic pre-season maybe but I just find it really hard to believe they just seem like the most well-drilled outfit don't they yeah. Liverpool so seeing them being complacent like you said is interesting but yeah Fulham just sensed weakness didn't they mm. and they just went after them and to be fair I think we've got to discuss him Alexander Mitrovic what, a, what an impact and obviously finally kind of offering a return and showing the full extent of his ability in the Premier League. And he was a perfect example of someone that just went, screw the script. I don't care who you are. I'm just going to go after you. And Mm. he was so much more than, I think everyone thinks he's this one-dimensional striker that just heads the ball, or I do at least. I mean, from someone that hasn't watched him week in, week out, in my head I kind of thought he was just a kind of striker that heads the ball and he is amazing at that, obviously. But the way he was retaining possession, kind of taking pressure off Fulham, not allowing Liverpool to just press and just keep winning the ball back. No, I thought he was he was excellent, Mitrovic. Um, obviously, Nunes on the opposite end of the pitch. A goal and assist. Hmm. Possibly the most jammy goal and assist you'll ever see. Yeah. I think he never, he doesn't, I don't know, he looks like the most unorthodox player that I've ever seen. I think I it's, I, it was. I'm not a Liverpool fan, and I didn't want them to score. But it was winding me up when he kept trying that. Yeah. That back heel finish. I'm thinking you could have had a hat trick here if you just put your foot through it every time. And then eventually, the third one yeah. gets hit back onto him after he's missed it, and he's run away, celebrate scoring like he's celebrating like he scored a worldie. <laughs> but no, you make your own look. I think. But <laughs> and then the assist as well. The assist was just a, a bad touch. Yeah, it was just and it just goes into <laughs> Salah. But maybe with Liverpool, maybe that's all you need. I mean, you can't deny he's being in the right. He's getting himself in the right positions. I don't know whether this is just how he plays, but he looked like a proper polished, kind of a polished 
player when he played for for Benfica, right? Benfica, yeah. 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 He, well, he looked like a really, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just nerves. Maybe it'll come with time. Or maybe it just works. Maybe being unorthodox. And it seems like he doesn't really know what he's going to do. So that maybe gets to the defenders, maybe. We're going to now just briefly talk about uh, Bournemouth versus Aston Villa. Obviously, perfect start for Scott Parker. I think we both predicted them to go down. It's it's the it's the start you want to have if you're going to prove us wrong. And I've always thought that they did have players there that that could do something in the Premier League. Jefferson Lerma, one of the players that we pointed out last week, he got the opener within about two minutes, and then Kiefer Moore doubled the scoring. I haven't watched the game, but all the write-ups I've seen are basically just suggesting that Villa were lifeless. They just weren't at the races. What I want to mainly focus on here, because I know me and you haven't really watched a game, but I've seen a lot of reports about Gerrard and falling out with certain players. I've seen it now with... There was a whole list I saw, and I think players on there were like El Ghazi, Tyron Mings, and now the latest is Ollie Watkins, according to reports. I just wondered if you thought maybe a pattern was emerging here. I think I've seen somewhere that Ollie Watkins, he might be willing to let him go. It's interesting because um, actually one thing I jotted down from the game was obviously their their performance was so sort of lacklustre. And obviously you've got Mings sat on the bench and quite a lot often as you see it, sort of bigger clubs as well when the situation like this occurs, it can overshadow what everyone else is doing and what what you're trying to do as a group and where you're trying to get to. Especially when it's someone like the captain, is that's a that's a big thing that he's done and it's a big decision that he's made. But I yeah. think uh, I was listening to Graham Souness the other day and he made a good point about uh, players pick up on stuff like this very quickly. They're quite intelligent, the players nowadays. And he says, and this happened when he was a manager. So if you fall out with one player, he said that will very quickly. As soon as you've had a bit of a a back and forth with him, he said within ten yeah. minutes he's in his car, he's on his phone to his agent he does this he said that he's on the phone to another agent the players start talking yeah. and you can very easily lose confidence within your dressing room because the players mm. are so tight knit nowadays as well that yeah. someone like Ollie Watkins and Tyron Mings probably really good mates and if, yeah. they've, if they've both noticed signs from Gerard that he's not quite into them it could start spreading around the dressing room very quickly mm, it's interesting it really is because obviously you want Gerard to go in there and just do what he wants to do and it's his vision and I understand it from his point of view but again there's kind of like a, a give or give and take isn't there like you don't want to go in and just go full guns blazing and just start tearing up foundations that have been there for years I mean Mings we've been kind of openly we've been openly critical about Mings and I won't I'm not going to act like I've always thought he's a brilliant player but yeah like you said he's a massive part of that dressing room Sometimes you've got to think of the overall kind of equilibrium within that dressing room and wonder whether for the greater good you kind of compromise a little bit. I don't know. You think, really, did he have to take the captaincy off Mings? Like, he could have dropped him and not played him. Mm. But did he have to take the captaincy off him? Could he have just made McGuinness advice? I don't know. But in some parts of me thinks the players just be like, get over it. Like, Mings... He's not been playing that well, and that's the consensus across all Villa fans. It's not like there's divided opinion over Mings. People think he's been pretty poor. I don't, but then I get it from the player's point of view, as in why it would disrupt them. I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's a hard one, isn't it? When you we're not in there, yeah. can't really spec. It's hard to speculate. We'll move on now to Newcastle versus Nottingham Forest. Obviously, another newly promoted team didn't enjoy uh, as 
as successful as a start as Bournemouth. I think Newcastle, very impressive. Forest, pretty underwhelming, really. I think everyone, I put them down as my surprise package this season. More out of just looking at the numbers of transfers they brought in. I think the one thing that can be praised is their resolve and they did not give in. They remained diligent and they held out until like around the 60th minute because it was literally absolute dominance. That first half was Newcastle. They didn't get out of their half for us. I think Cooper employed a, a 5-3-2 formation, which I don't know. It, I, you just saw as well the absence of Jed Spence and how important he was last season to Forest success and that formation as well. And then also James Garner. I mean, I know they tried to replace, but those are two players that, I mean, James Garner's back at Manchester United. He's going to probably, I don't know what's the situation with James Garner, but Jed Spence has gone to obviously Tottenham Hotspur. These are players that are viewed as potentially top quality Premier League players. And I don't know if they've been replaced. No. I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, Lingard completely ineffective. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, in terms of the game, I think it was always a tough ask. I mean, it's if you could pick a game, obviously you've got your, your Man City and the Liverpools. But I think Newcastle at St. James's mm. Park, first game season, the sort of buoyance that they've all got in the crowd, the feeling and everything, it, it was always going to be a massive ask to even get anything from the game. So I don't... Yeah. I'm not sure if you can take too much away from it for Forest, really. I think... We'll see their their bread and butter will be at home. They've got to try and make the city ground yeah. a bit of a fortress. That's where they're going to stay up. But mm. um, yeah, it is interesting that obviously these players that they're signing, obviously they're making lots of them. But as we saw before with people like Fulham, when they last came up, it doesn't always work. It can actually have a sort of negative effect on the whole team and the whole balance. So mm. yeah, maybe not replacing them two might be their Achilles heel. But I just think, how do you... Yeah, how do you replace them? Like how on earth do you go about doing that? Unless you find some, unearth some talent from Liga 2 or Serie B or something like that. I mean, players like Jed Spence and James Garner, I mean, if you wanted to buy them, you'd have to pay a lot of money. Mm. And it's just, I, I completely understand and sympathise with, with Steve Cooper, but I just didn't see any signs of optimism, if I'm honest, no. like anything. I know Ryan Yates was injured and he's a big player for Forrest and it'd be important when he's back. But, I mean, Brennan Johnson wasn't brought into the game. I expected the Lingard-Johnson kind of tandem to be something to really keep an eye on this season. But even, like I don't know, on the counter, you'd expect them to enjoy the most success as well. Mm. And obviously that was the approach from Cooper, but it didn't come to fruition. So they're closing in on the Atalanta midfielder this morning as well. So another midfielder they're signing. Um Mm. Roman but they hadn't Frulia. right I've heard the name I don't know much about him I've heard I've, I've, they've had a bid rejected for for Hussein Awar haven't they yeah it's a strange one I don't know if, yeah I don't know if that'll advance Awar can't be that good can he no I mean Leon are willing to get rid of him for around 10 to 12 million so no one really I mean Real Betis I think were the team that were most closely linked with him and that's what the move that he wanted but none of the big boys are going in he didn't even get in the Leon team last season at all. Really? Yeah, he's sort of I, uh, fallen off quite yeah. a lot in the last two or three years. There seems to be a lot of, I think, a lot of agent work going on as well, trying to link clubs because we've constantly been. It's constantly been if James Madison goes, if Tielemans goes, Awar's the replacement. 
I find that hard to believe if he's not been starting for Leon. Oh, in terms of Lingard, we'll just quickly stick on Forrest. Um, how did Forrest get the best out of Jesse Lingard? As a Manchester United fan, what is, say, his best position? What kind of formation do you think he needs to be playing in? Mm. I know it's a tough question, but your opinion? Um, to be fair, I've always thought Lingard, a lot of Lingard's best football sort of especially for United over the years, came over sort of on that right-hand side. You know, sort right. of that attacking midfield, not a winger, so to speak, because I don't think he's really got the pace to be a winger. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe deploying him in it over on the sort of bit more of a advanced role, but on on, on sort, of, sort of like an inverted winger almost. Yeah. But, you know, I need to watch more of Forrest and see how they, they really set up and in the Premier League to see where he would fit best. Maybe yeah. you could have a thinker, maybe something like a false nine as a striker, but you just don't know, do you, really, with Lingard? I mean, so you don't think he could play up front with Brennan Johnson? I think possibly that could work in a front two because I, I think he, a lot of the time under Mourinho, I think they played him with a, a front two of him and someone else. Sometimes, sometimes like yeah. Alexis Sanchez, Lukaku, literally is two strikers. So I mean, that could work, but. I feel like for a team like Forrest, newly promoted, if you've got Jesse Lingard, you sort of want him in and around that middle area to try and mm. link play yeah, rather than be the focal point. Yeah, and he does seem to like a... I think Cooper likes a, a physical striker up there alongside Brennan Johnson. I think Keenan Davis didn't return to Forrest, no, did No, they've signed that Adi, um, Adi Young, Adewone. I'm definitely not saying it right, but from Union Berlin. So now we'll we move on to the game that I'm sure you've been looking forward to talking about, Westy. Obviously, you were in attendance. Manchester United 1, Brighton 2. I think you should take the floor with this one, really. I mean, I don't want to just focus on United's shortcomings. So maybe talk a bit about Brighton. I mean, did they impress you? Was it another Graham Potter masterclass? Yeah, it was. It was, and it was... It was. You know what? It, obviously, it wasn't enjoyable as a United fan, but... Just to watch Graham Potter and his team play it is enjoyable in itself. And mm. yeah, just everything they were doing, it was just so admirable. It was sort of the angles that they create. I mean, yeah, I know it's not so difficult to 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 play midfielders that United have got, sort of play them off the park, but they did play them off the park at times. Yeah, it was a strange one really because United started with a tiny bit of bit of sort of intensity for the first five ten minutes Bruno Fernandes had a huge chance which he put straight over the bar and mm. as soon as that happened it was like a, a switch flicked and Brighton got so much confidence from that and United didn't threaten at all and Brighton just yeah they were just interchanging the positions it was like a there was like a di- it was like a diamond like, yeah like a big did diamond. McAllister impress to be fair McAllister wasn't wasn't the person that sort of it was it was Caicedo I think Danny Welbeck was really good actually as well um, he, is, he is good Danny Welbeck he's a really effective striker when he wants to be yeah yeah I, I mean I saw a funny a United fan say something quite funny on Twitter and it was saying that Danny Welbeck left Manchester United eight years ago and he would still start for their team in the team yeah, that they beat today which was I thought it was funny um, that is funny yeah Pascal Gross obviously scored two goals he, he looked good. Loves it against United, don't he? Loves it. Um, worst nightmare. Um, but no, the defence was solid. Um, yeah, just everything about their performance was really good, actually. And I thought Caicedo yeah. was a standout man in midfield. He sort of broke mm. everything up and got the better of McTominay and Fred every time. 
There's not a time. I've seen him. I've se- yeah, yeah, I've seen him. But like, was he? Is he a carbon copy of Basuma? Do you see differences in his game? Uh, you see, uh, you notice. I think he's more. He's more of like a more of like a Kante in the aspect that he sort of just chases everything down and somehow yeah. seems to get a foot in and get a, get a foot around the ball and, and take it off them. Um, but now he's got technical ability as well. He's good, he's got a good passing range. He's he's quick. He's he's really strong and he's small. So he's got a, like a small low center of gravity, which makes it hard for him to even once he's got the ball, it makes it hard to get the ball back off him. Yeah, but he's just a nightmare to play against. It looks like and. Um, yeah, he just sort of ran it at his own tempo, that midfield. And yeah, Brighton mm. were far superior in every department, unfortunately. Yeah, so we've yeah, we've given Brighton the necessary coverage. Let's talk about Man United now then. So what were the obvious differences in Ten Hag's system? What has he implemented? Was there anything you could take from it? Um, what was he trying to do? I mean, it didn't come off, but what yeah. was the aim? Um. Yeah, you know, I think I think the system he started with it was a strange one, and I don't think it sort of put us in good stead. I mean, so we had like Christian Eriksen playing as a false nine in the first half, didn't work at all, and then we in the second half when he sort of dropped in and sort of took the the game by the scruff of the neck on his own because I think he was getting frustrated with not seeing the ball. So when United looked a lot better when he was dropping in deep and playing out wide, but no, I thought Martinez looked good. Him and Maguire looked quite solid together. But it's always the, it's the fallback problem at Man United. It's such a big problem, and it lets them down all the time. And I've always been quite a big fan of Luke Shaw, but obviously pre Euros he had that fantastic season. But last season he was pretty poor, and it, yeah. he started off the same this season, getting dragged in a lot. And Brighton were just picking him off down that right hand side. But I just, so there's stuff that he was trying to do Ted Hard with sort of the wingers getting forward and the fullbacks helping him around, but. He just wasn't getting help from from his actual players on the pitch, and it, it was hard to mm. actually see what he was trying to do. And there didn't seem like there was a lot of difference from Ralph Ranić's football last year. But I think yeah. that just says more about the players, to be honest. I just think it's interesting with Shaw, and like, it is that kind of obviously we try and kind of like look at every single part of football and try and make it almost scientific, and like we want an answer for everything and uh, causal factors in certain situations, but interested to know what Shaw thinks is the yeah the causal factor in his form oscillating because at times he's unplayable and he literally is that kind of faultless left back he can defend he can attack he's got he's he's built differently like he, he there's not many footballers you see with his build and he's so strong and he's so quick he's kind of a freak of nature almost at times mm. but then we have these periods where he's so poor and now for me, going into this season, as a as an outsider looking on, Shaw would have not been the player that I would have expected us to be talking about on the podcast. Like, I don't know, it just surprises me. And I just think it's odd. And it's kind of, how do you explain it, really? I don't really get what the cause is. He doesn't yeah. seem to have any glaring weaknesses to his game, really, when he's on his day, at least. No, I, I mean, don't know what it is. is. Is there an answer to it? Can you, can no. you see an explanation? No, I'm not, I'm not sure really. I don't, I don't know whether I think it might be a mindset problem with him. I'm not sure whether right. he just he doesn't have the ca- capability to stay fully switched on for a full game or a full season or whatever. But I mean, yeah. the other side was just as a, just as a bigger problem. Diogo Dallo. I mean, I mean, he let, scored, didn't he? 
Dallo. No, it was a known goal, I think, really. Oh, right. It was a bit... The ball wasn't going in without the defender hitting it onto him. Panay, I think he's a big problem. I personally would have preferred to see Wan-Bissaka. If we're not going to sign a right-back, Wan-Bissaka is superior to Dallo. I don't care what any Man United fan says. I'd yeah. rather have someone who's very good at one aspect of his game and not very good at the other than someone who's really below average at both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a jack of all trades and master at nothing or whatever the yeah exactly that with Dallow um, and his overhit crosses are just a joy to watch every game when you go reminds me he's, of he's hungry though isn't he he's hungry but Scott McTominay's hungry mate so how was the midfield um, <laughs> yeah. I look Fred yeah great uh, <laughs> um, Fred wasn't I've always thought Fred I've always thought quite highly of Fred as a player and I've always thought he's had a quick bit of a bit of a a lot of unwanted criticism from United fans but he wasn't that much of an issue but I think it was McTominay was just it's so frustrating honestly he just if he could only he could stick to things that he's good at he, mm. but he doesn't I think he watches other midfielders do stuff and thinks oh I fancy a bit of that and he yeah. tries like these 80 yard diagonals that go out for throw-ins and then he'll pick up the ball that was what I think you probably saw the video where he picks up and thinks I'm going to have a run here and beats one mm. player and just trips over his own feet. Yeah, just I have seen that. <laughs> looks do you around. think that's a case of? Do you think that's a case of like Ten Hag trying to push him, Possibly. trying to get something out of him? Possibly. And he just isn't that player. Yeah, I think maybe that is, and I think it's maybe a case of him wanting to sort of. He, he's probably because de- because of the criticism he gets, he's probably desperate to show that he can do stuff, and it's hard mm. because you don't want to sort of lay into him too much because at least he does put the effort in, and it's. You know what? If someone tells you to play for Man United, you're going to do it, whether you think you're good mm. enough or not. So until he yeah. gets told otherwise, he will he will put his all in and play for the shirt. But it just we, we yeah people talk about the United DNA, and I think he has got that arrogance, McTominay, of a United player, but he just hasn't got the the ability to back it up. Uh, he has yeah. got that. Some United players, and I'd say United fans as well, feel like they're quite entitled. And they feel like they deserve to win, and they've got this divine right to win all the time. And McTominay, I feel, does have that about him. But yeah, again, if you haven't got the ability to back that up, then it's kind yeah. of irrelevant, really. Um, I want to know what the atmosphere was like in the ground. So, um, were there boos or what's the kind of atmosphere around the fans? I know there was a, a protest before the game. Yeah, but where do you think the kind of I know obviously a lot of it's directed at the owners, kind of the, the anger in the fans. But who's it being directed at? As, in the ground, is it being directed at the players? What was the reception to like Ronaldo, for example? In the ground, it was. I think the support's always good. First day of the season as well, obviously. It's good until. I mean, you, I, think, I think you saw last season when they lost 5 0 to Liverpool. Everyone's still supporting, singing, and that's a good thing about Man yeah. United fans. And it it rarely sort of deflects onto the players, but right. a lot of it was still in the ground. I think um, Avram Glazer was there on on Sunday, so a lot of it was directed to him. Um, but no, general generally it was pretty good. But it's when things start going badly. I think in most grounds, most sets of fans, and there's just sort of murmurings and moanings when something doesn't come off, which is dead normal for a football stadium yeah absolutely but yeah in terms there was was nothing really sort of sour or toxic I mean no Ronaldo warmed up 
when he first went over, I think there was a sort of there was a mix of well, you can never really tell whether it's a Sioux or a Boo inside Old Trafford. So, but uh, <laughs> he'll speak, tell himself it's a Sioux. Yeah, speaking to a few people after the game, they said that there was some people booing him. Um, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, fair enough if you want to. I mean, he's not covered himself in any glory this summer. No, I mean Pogba would have got booed for it. Do you know what I mean? So why would Ronaldo? Why should Ronaldo not get yeah. booed for it? But then, well, I mean, there are some reasons why Ronaldo shouldn't get booed for it. But. Yeah, but then when he comes onto the pitch, I'm not sure whether it played into it that United were two 0 down. Well, had United been three 0 up, maybe at this point, maybe there wouldn't have been such an uproar. But he was, it was honestly, it was like it was his return last year against Newcastle. It was yeah. everyone standing up, suing. I thought, bloody hell, if we just sort of lost all <laughs> values of, as a club, <laughs> this, yeah. this guy does not I- want to be here. <laughs> I think you are just kind of disillusioned, aren't you, as a, as a fan base? Because the facts are, and it's like you always, you've always said, you never imagined that Ronaldo would even come back. So it's hard for you to even be negative about it. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, I do, actually, I do want to ask you one more question. Try and answer quickly if you can. How Can any of the blame fall at Eric, Eric Ten Hag's door, do you think? No. No. Not yet. None at all? None at all. Right. Right, well, time will tell. Obviously, we look around the grounds at the other games. Tottenham beat Southampton 4-1. Obviously, James Ward-Prowse put Southampton ahead and Tottenham came back. I think it was everything we expected, really, about Spurs and the kind of start that they'd have. Um, is there anything more you wanted to add about that game? No, exactly what how I thought. I didn't think it'd go anything more. Couldn't, could have been more goals before the game. Yeah. I think Southampton mm. are a good unit, but... You know, they are sort of the whipping boys at times, aren't they, of the league? If you need a big result, Southampton will help mm. you out. Yeah, yeah. I think, to be fair on them, though, they have had some some big games against the big teams over the years. Like, they do... They do. They, well, like, they start well, don't they? They're good at starting well, Southampton. But they score and then teams often come back. Yeah. But, yeah, I think if Southampton had got an upset there, that's when we would have been talking about it. And we'll talk about Spurs. I think they're playing Chelsea this weekend, so they'll be... High up on our agenda next week. Leeds United started really well. 2-1 against Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think kind of alarm bells for, for Wolves and Bruno Large really. And I think they have gone into the transfer window, I think, now. Yeah, so Wolves, obviously, I don't know if it has been triggered by their poor start. But they have gone into the transfer window and got Gonzalo Guedes from Valencia. Um, obviously a player that I think a lot of people know about have you got any insight into him? Uh, not not much particularly to be fair uh, no not he, well, he's a forward lot. yeah he's, he's a scored forward. 13 times and got 6 assists um, last season I think yeah yeah he's certainly a good player yeah no it'd be interesting to see what he can do and I think Wolves I don't think they're going to be any risk of going down but if they want to push up the table they've got to go into the transfer window they've got Large deserves to be backed after what he did last season Leeds, yeah, brilliant start for Leeds, and it'd be someone the teams to real keep a close eye on. And they've there. I want to try and watch them next weekend and see how they're doing under Jesse Marsh. Obviously, you didn't get to watch this game. Everton versus Chelsea, one nil to Chelsea in the end. Kind of not much to to write home about. It's a pretty poor game. Everton can be, I think, can take positives. If anything, more positives than Chelsea. Really, I know Chelsea won the game, but it was a penalty. They didn't really offer much. And for that to be such a tight game with the problems Everton have had, I think it, it kind of is a, a, a stark reminder of where Chelsea are at the moment. And they're not... I, I, I personally don't think they'll be pushing up the league this season. Anyway, we, we will get to them in the transfer window. And that 
that kind of idea might change or that perception might change sorry Leicester City versus Brentford to all I mean I could talk briefly about it obviously it was at the game first half wise I've can't really remember in recent memory a performance like it in the first half. We absolutely dominated Brentford. They're a good outfit. They're really well drilled. Yeah, and we dominated them. Came out into the second half. Dewsbury Hall scored with about two minutes into the second half. It was all rosy. And then the game management again is Brendan Rodgers' demise really. And I don't really know what's going on. Um, We seem to just drop in and sit back when... We seemingly, from the outside, we should just be going after teams and getting three or four. And we looked like we could have at the weekend. But anyway, an inquest, we'll have an inquest into that later on if, if the results don't go our way. But hopefully that first that first half can bode well for the rest of the season. And then obviously Haaland announced himself on the Premier League. 2-0 away to West Ham, Manchester City won. Yeah, I think, again, it was kind of a game where everything that we expected happened, really. West Ham probably gave a good account for themselves, but Manchester City, I mean, De Bruyne, the De Bruyne and Haaland tandem is just going to be dangerous, isn't it? Mm. Those balls in behind. Yeah. City, they look pretty scary. Totally different dimension for City as well, because over the last few years, especially in the Guardiola team, I think you probably saw it more in their sort of first season that he had with Sane and Sterling and that sort of more dynamic front three of Aguero in behind, but it's going to be so weird seeing City playing strikers in behind over the top because it's normally you just get it to the byline, you pull it back, you play around and there's a few tappings. But yeah, Haaland's going to score all sorts of goals. Mm, we're going to be talking about our FPL later and I assume that he'll be high on the agenda for both of us. Right, that rounds off the uh, Game Week 1 games or matches. I want to talk about our Player of the Week, Westy. Who are you putting forward? Um, I've gone for Moises Caicedo of Brighton. Right. Yeah. I know we spoke about him earlier in the episode, but do you want to give the reasonings behind that? Um, just his, just his performance in general. It's a game I went to, so it was a game I saw the most, and yeah, yeah just his maturity, his, his his overall performance, how he sort of set the tempo at a ground like Old Trafford, where yes, it bit of a joke it might be easy to do more in the recent years than it has been in the past but it's still a big stage to play on and and yeah. um, impose yourself the way he did so I think he's my pick of the week right I like pick of the week that's what we'll call it my pick of the week is Alexander Mitrovic I know I spoke about him earlier in the episode I think he just kind of highlighted his importance to Fulham and played with an arrogance that we saw in the championship and he's kind of translated that into the Premier League and I hope he just continues it. Because if he plays with that arrogance and that just no fear, really, that's the way he needs to play in the Premier League. I mean, sometimes he, I don't know if it, I might be wrong, but it sometimes seemed like he was a bit too respectful almost before, reining himself in a bit. But he just needs to go for it and just play like it is the championship. Play like no one's watching. Then I also thought as well, going back to what I said before in the episode, like he was more than just kind of a bulldozer. He retained possession, he eased pressure for for Fulham and, and obviously he scored two goals as well, which as a striker, you can't really argue with that. And that header as well on the back post over yeah. Trent. I mean, people criticising Trent, but find me a fullback that would have won that header. It must have been a horrible thought, jumping up for that header with your eyes yeah. back to it, thinking I know exactly who's coming 
elbows, you knees. could see he was thinking it as well, the way he went up for <laughs> he it. Closes, I think he closed his eyes, didn't he? Sort of like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's our play- players of the week: Moises Saicedo of Brighton and Alexander Mitrovic of Fulham. Now we'll go on to our predictions for game week two. We're going to rattle these off, and we're going to keep track of these. And it's going to be a league table. And I know we lost track last season, but we're going to be doing it this season. Obviously, we have, we've already missed game week one, but we start from game week two over. We do things a little bit different, in my opinion. Right, Westy Aston Villa versus Everton. Obviously, a big game. For both teams, both teams have a lot to prove. I mean, if Aston Villa aren't winning this game, serious questions are going to have to be asked about Gerrard. And that sounds mad to say, two games in. I'm not talking about sacking him, but something, I don't know, it, alarm bells. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. So I've gone 1-1 in this one. I've gone 2-1 to Everton. So, all right. Well, we could be talking about Gerrard next week then on the podcast, if that happens anyway. Arsenal versus Leicester. I think it's going to be a real tough game for us. <clears throat> but I never, ever, ever, ever bet against Leicester. I never will do it. So I've gone 2 1 Leicester. Nice. I've gone 2 2 in that one. 2 2. Oh, I'd take that. Definitely take that. Brighton versus Newcastle. Obviously, Brighton will be looking to continue that positive start, but Newcastle as well. That will be an actually really interesting game. I hope that's one of the TV games. Yeah, I don't think it is, but sorry. Is it not? That, what? That just tells you what they... They just have, they're clueless, aren't they? These yeah. people that put the games on TV. I can almost guarantee what game will be on. I don't know. Liverpool, it's, um, Crystal it's, Palace will be on. It's Villa-Everton on the 12.30. Um, Brentford versus Man United on the half five. Um, so, so are we not on TV, Arsenal-Leicester? No, that's three o'clock Saturday. It's not on telly. What's going on? Arsenal-Leicester <laughs> and Brighton-Newcastle. Anyway, yeah. Brighton and Newcastle, I've gone 2 all in that one. Um, I've gone 1-1 one, one in that one. Right. Two draws then. Yeah. I've, gone. I've sat on the fence quite a bit this weekend. Yeah, to be fair, that this it's actually a real nice mix of, mix of games this weekend. There's some really highly contested games. Maybe not so much this next one. Man City versus Bournemouth. I think it's got 4-0 written all over it. I've also what gone 4-0. Have you? It does. It just feels like a 4-0, doesn't it? Yeah. Southampton versus Leeds. Obviously, Leeds again trying to continue their good start. Southampton trying to just kick their season off. I don't think Southampton are going to go down this season, but I think they are going to lose this game. I think it's going to be 1 0 to Leeds. I've gone 1 1. 1 1. Right, another draw. It's going to be an exciting weekend. Wolves versus Fulham. Obviously, vital that Wolves get a win here, really. Um, Or. Yeah, it's just vital that they get the win. Fulham obviously started really brightly against Liverpool. They'll be full of confidence. And I have actually gone 2-0 to Fulham on this one. Nice. Might sound boring, but I've also gone 1-1. Not a word, Westy. Just sat on the fence the whole time. It's a pragmatic approach this year to your predictions. <laughs> then we'll move on to Brentford versus Manchester United. And I have, in fact, gone for a draw in this one. What are your thoughts ahead of this game? Are you are you nervous? I mean, it, again, it does look like another stumbling block. For yeah, United. yeah. I mean, I think we definitely we need to pick up a win here because obviously, the following week we're going into Liverpool. So, I think if we get off of another loss here, and then it, oh, it'd be a disastrous start. But yeah, I've yeah, like you say, I've I never liked to bet against United, so I've gone two one to Man United, but. Don't get me wrong, I'm not confident. 
Yeah, I could see it. I can just I've gone two all just because I feel like there is a pattern emerging with United where you go one or two down and then you get a couple goals back. I mean, I know it didn't happen against Brighton, but I can just see Ronaldo getting a couple and then it will be all the see it will be all over the like all over your social medias. Ronaldo gets a point at the uh, the Brentford Community Stadium. <laughs> And everything will be forgotten. All the Glazers, banners, everything will be gone. Um, Nottingham Forest versus West Ham. Obviously, you spoke about it at the top of the episode about the, the importance of the city ground and the importance of Forest creating a, a cauldron of an atmosphere, making it a fortress. And for that reason, I'm going to go 1-0 to Forest over West Ham. I've gone for 1-0 West Ham. Right, I expected a draw there, to be honest. 1-0 West Ham. So we've gone both sides of the coin there. It's an interesting one. Good for the spectators. Then we've gone for the, for the big game of the weekend, Chelsea versus Tottenham. I mean, I think I know which way we'll probably go on the predictions. Maybe you'll go for a draw, but do you think there's any chance that Chelsea could... I mean, it's mad that we're talking about it being an upset, really. Chelsea could upset Tottenham here. Surely it's a Tottenham win. Surely. Um I wouldn't say surely, but I have gone for 2-1 Tottenham. I've gone 3-1, to be honest. Really? Mm. Mm. I think the first, you see I think the, the first goal yeah. will be vital in this one. Yeah. I think if Chelsea get it, they've got sort of the defence is good enough to sort of grind out results, I think. Um, but I think if Spurs, I think I can see Spurs going like 2 up, I can then sort of Chelsea pulling one back. Mm. We'll have a look actually how Chelsea set up last game. Obviously, this is the big game of the weekend, so it's good to give it a little bit of a preview. Obviously, Kukurea came on at left wing back and he looked really impressive against Everton. His passing is so direct and just so crisp. His whole game is just, yeah, it's just brilliant. So, yeah, they, they started Koulibaly, Thiago Silva and Cesar Aspilicueta. It's a beatable back three, I think, personally. I'm not. I'm not convinced with Aspilicueta still. I mean, he's only on a downward trajectory, isn't he? Koulibaly went off injured. I don't know if you got any news on that. Apparently, yeah. According to Tuchel, there was no injury, and Koulibaly was suffering with fatigue as he was substituted due to cramp. So, I don't know if that bodes well for the rest of the season. Good start to English football. Yeah, but so he should be starting at the weekend. I think Kukurea will start. I think he'll start, I could see him to the left of the back three, but maybe he'll start ahead of Chilwell, I'm not sure. But yeah, so I've gone 3-1 in that one um, to Tottenham, and you've gone, what was it, 2-1? Yep. Last game of the weekend, Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. I've gone quite simple with this one, I think Liverpool will just get back on track at home. I've gone 3-0 to Liverpool. I've gone 3-0. Right. Yeah, so we'll react to those next week, guys. And we're going to do... So it'll be a point. I think it'll be like two points for getting the correct score and one point for getting the correct result. Um, yeah, so we'll react to them next week. Warning ahead of... In advance, mine and Westy's predictions have, are always pretty wide of the mark. Yeah. Well, mine at least. Next up on the show, now we've got some transfer talk. So the latest is that Frankie de Jong... Looks like he could be going to Chelsea. Um, this is from Fabrizio Romano. This is kind of the latest reports. Chelsea are really pushing for De Jong. Tuchel loves the player and are ready to pay what Barca want. Chelsea will only submit an official proposal after knowing his priority. There were no meetings between Barcelona and Frankie's agents yet. 
I think the rustlings are that he'd be more inclined to go into Chelsea. I think it's just Champions League football. I mean, have you got anything you want to say? How are you feeling about this situation? Because I know it's been going on for so long now. It looked like United had De Jong at one point, mm. but now it looks like they never were anywhere near having him. Yeah, I mean, he's got, I don't really care anymore, to be honest. Like... No matter what happens, I don't care at all. It just sort of it knows nothing in there for me anymore. There's no excitement mm. about it. It's actually boring. No. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't. I don't know about the. I don't know about the Chelsea news because United agreed to deal with Barcelona two months ago. It means nothing really. In the case, I think it's mm. all been held up. Obviously, if Chelsea are willing to pay deferred wages, makes a big difference there. But I still think it all comes down to the player and I feel like maybe now this is where the tide's turning with De Jong. I think I saw a video yesterday of Barca fans abusing him, driving yeah. his training. And this, this is where it starts to get for De Jong. You might start thinking, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore because until then, everyone wanted to keep him and he wanted to stay. So it was a bit of a, apart from the club, the, the sort of the higher ups who wanted to sort of sell him for financial reasons, the, the, I think his teammates and his fans would want him to stay so I think he was quite happy to stay but now mm. people seem to be turning on him from the outside yeah I don't know I think yeah it looks like he could end up at Chelsea but like I say if he does best, yeah. best wishes so, to him I, I couldn't care less anymore yeah for those listening at home obviously if you don't know the deferred wager so De Jong's owed around £19 million pounds or yeah. euros from Barcelona and to this point, they've been refusing to pay it. De Jong's been basically refusing to leave until he receives those wages. United have refused to pay kind of over the odds and pay for those wages, those deferred wages. But now Chelsea, it looks like, might be willing to pay it. And that does seem the key to the whole deal, really. And I completely understand it from Frankie De Jong's point of view. I think it's shocking. I don't know what is going on with Barcelona. I don't know how they're getting away with it. Surely, something that's just that you in the long term you can't see this being good for them. I mean, next season they have to be successful. They have yeah. to be. I don't think there's ever been a more pressure on a manager than what Xavi's going to be under next season. And this is an unproven manager as well. I know there were some improvements. He got them into the Champions League, but yeah, I, I don't know. It could. It's just like a ticking time bomb, Barcelona. And you can just. I mean, they, all these players aren't even registered, are they? I think Christensen and. Um, Kessier could leave Kessier yeah they could leave this weekend yeah <laughs> like it's just absolutely crazy and I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in terms of Frankie De Jong to Chelsea I think it'd be a great signing and I think you'd probably agree with that as well just like he would have been a good signing for Manchester United I think in that double pivot system you could see him alongside a, a Kante or someone like that I mean I would say if he comes in I think that's the end for Conor Gallagher and I could see him going back to Palace on loan again. I think there's talk of that happening. He came on for about two minutes against Everton. I don't know if Tuchel will keep him around. I think it's surprising. I thought he would have been a good good option, but I can't see him keeping him around if Frankie Dion comes. I can't see Gallagher really wanting to stick around either. Um, Aubameyang to Chelsea as well seems to be the other um, the other rumour. Tuchel apparently loves Aubameyang. I think he managed him while they were at Dortmund. I mean, it's a farce, isn't it? What is football become? Like, what is going on? Players are just going to and from. It It literally is like career mode nowadays. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And there's no loyalty. There's no players settling into anywhere. There's just players, there's mercenaries that just go around, don't do very well anywhere, but they still earn these big contracts, these 
these big moves to these big clubs and I get it, Aubameyang has a big reputation, he's done brilliantly over the years, but I don't know what's going on, like, Chelsea signed Lukaku for 100 million last year, and he's already back at Inter Milan, have you got anything you wanted to add on this, do you think he'd be a good signing for Chelsea? No, I think he's, I think he's passed his sell-by date, to be honest, to Aubameyang, so, I think, yeah, I just can't see it, but they, then again, I think it, that you'd offer more than what they've already got, I mean, Kai, yeah. Kai Havertz, I mean, I'm not, I just don't know what to make of Havertz. I mean, he's he's so he's nice on the eye. He sort of glides with the ball well. He's nice passes, intricate passes, but he doesn't really do anything, does he? He's not very no. effective at all. He's not productive, and he doesn't really score goals. And that's what you're there to do. I mean, I think Sterling's going to struggle this season. I think. Look, I was watching the game, and I've seen clips where Sterling makes these really good runs, and ones that someone like a Gundogan, a De Bruyne, a Rodri would have picked out, and the midfielders for Chelsea don't even look like he's just not going to get that many chances at Chelsea Sterling and I, I think he might struggle this season along with Havertz like I agree I don't I think Aubameyang they'd be worse signings and they do need a striker but oh, I agree with you I think he's I just think he's become disillusioned and I think it's because of the money everything like he's just I think he's at a point in his career where he just doesn't really care. He hasn't got that drive in him anymore. No. Going back to United and De Jong, obviously there's been a few alternatives that have been listed in the media. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who obviously is linked with a move to the Premier League every season, it seems. He's now linked, I think it's 50-odd million or something I'm seeing. and He's around 20, I think he's nearly turning 28. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, we'll tie in Adrian Rabio as well from Juventus. I mean, are those the kind of players that United needs to be looking at? Well, it just it just seems again like there's no really direction in what they're trying to do. I mean, you go for someone like Frankie De Jong, and then you looking at someone like Milinkovic Savic, they're just completely different profiles of players. Um, yeah. And the the most annoying thing about it is that they are looking at these players and they're still just bypassing the the main issue, and that's a holding midfielder. You've yeah. got players out there, like you said, like Jao Pelinia before he went to Fulham. He could he could walk into Manchester United's team easily. Mm. Uh, you've got people like Sangare at PSV, who looked really you, good. You could have had Saicedo. Saicedo, yeah, could have had, yeah, that's, I mean, that sums it up a lot. But yeah, and then Adrian Ravio, what, why? Juventus, he's gone to Juventus, he's been sort of frozen out, he's not done very well there. And he's got a reputation for a bad attitude his mum mother who is his agent is a is a nightmare apparently um heard that he once when he was at PSG he didn't come on the pre-season tour to Qatar because his they wouldn't allow his mum to come with them so he didn't <laughs> he board. wants to pay he, put, he wants to pay rise as well doesn't it yeah yeah he wants over 10 million pounds a year so that just if that if united signed Rabio it sort of would be the biggest indication of change hasn't really happened and it's not going to happen um, but then again like you say if this is a alternative that Eric Ten Hag has pinpointed you sort of mm-hmm. have to trust him but you just don't know where it's come from is it the recruitment department is it Ten Hag um, but no I just don't know I've just become very disillusioned with it myself this this makes me go back to Ralph Ranick and the I, I've constantly protested that it was a bad idea getting rid of Ralph Ranick. And I thought it was arrogance on Eric Ten Hag's side. 
And I think he should have realised, and it shows kind of a naivety to the situation that he was going into and the ineptitude of the Man- Manchester United board. If you'd had a, a Ralph Ranić in, in that boardroom, the kind of players you would have been going for, there's no way he would have been going for a Rabios, the, even a De Jong, for example. And maybe that's why uh, Ten Hag didn't want him, because there was a difference of opinion. But for me, Ralph Ranić having a football guy in there and someone that not only knows these players and the players to look at. I mean, look at the Red Bull groups. They're, con- they're constantly churning out talent. Ralph Rangnick not only knows about these players, but he would have had leverage and he would have been able to keep them in. Like, he would have been able to attract them. He would have yeah. been able to sell this this philosophy, this project. I, I, I personally think it was a massive mistake from Ten Hag letting or forcing to, uh, Ralph Rangnick out. I'm not saying he was... Maybe he wasn't his fault. Maybe it was someone in the board that wanted to get rid of him. But I personally, my personal opinion, I don't think any wrong, like any bad could have happened from Ralph Ranić being in that boardroom. Only good, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I, do, I think I think I think the more you look at it now and what's happened this summer, I think it, you can tell. I think it was a lot of maybe the Glazers mm. speaking out against the ownership and the way the clubs run. They're never going to like it. They like puppets working for them. The Glazers. They like. No one really sort of shedding any bad light on them, so yeah, it just sort of. No, I get that, but I, well, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I do get it. But I just, but it, it's the whole kind of not. It's just nonsensical. Like it defies belief. The people running that club, because if it's all about making money and like profit margins, things like that, <clears throat> these players, yeah, you might not get the shirt sales. The the players that Ralph Rangnick wants, but in the long run, they're going to cost you less money. There's a chance you could sell them on for more, but also they're more likely to have success. Yeah. These approach the the approach that United are employing it does not work. When has it worked? Getting That's these ridic- players that are so called proven, that have these big reputations, big egos, it's not. It just does not work. And I think it is just that kind of short sighted view, and that it literally does seem that every player you go for, they have to have like a. a shirt sale value almost like I know you get the odd like Tyrell Malasia players like that but De Jong for me just screamed of yeah Ten Hag wants him but he also suited what the, the Glazers wanted because he sells he sells shirts he gets fans back on side that was what the Varane signing was as well mm. I mean I'm getting riled up and I'm not even a Man United fan I just think it's it's ridiculous these people in these massively important jobs these high paid jobs and they're just inept at it they're literally they're grossly inept it's shocking I think it's shocking yeah so we'll finish the episode talking about actually you might go into a little bit about Man City as well but we want to talk about Wesley Fofana obviously the latest is that Chelsea is still pushing but Leicester are remaining kind of adamant that he isn't for sale I think the most recent bid was around 70 70, 80, was it? Was it 80? And yeah, so Chelsea are continuing to push. I think the worrying thing for me is the fact that they are continuing to, it shows that they've been given some kind of hope that they might be able to sign him. And Leicester, it's that whole, like they're saying, oh, he's not for sale, but there is a valuation on him, which is I assume is around kind of 90 million, something like that. And for me personally, I don't see... If it's over 85, well, in the region between 80 and 90, I just don't see Leicester turning it down. 
And I don't know if that's just me being pessimistic. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers has it's come out, Sky Sports reported that it isn't so much for Fana pushing for the move, but it's more his agent, which I think makes sense. And little things like taking Leicester out of his bio, stuff like that, does seem like a very kind of agent-motivated move and, and thing to do to try and give Chelsea hope and try and encourage them to offer more. Obviously, another thing that has come out is that Brendan Rodgers has tried to tried to persuade Fafana that basically he's got more chance of being in the World Cup squad by staying at Leicester as opposed to going to Chelsea. Talking about like regular football. But surely, if Chelsea are going to pay this amount of money, Fafana slots straight in to Chelsea's first team. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, do I have a reason to be pe- pessimistic? Do you reckon I should be optimistic about Fafana staying? Um... Do you I think, think it's in the balance as well? Yeah, it's in the balance. Uh, I think he's obviously. I think it's more likely that he stays. Um, and I think, right. yeah, I think he he seems pretty switched on. I feel like he's definitely sort of settled and happy at Leicester, whether that be for another year or two years. Um, yeah, I think you just got to look at how other players have fared in the past when either staying or leaving Leicester. I mean, obviously you've got the you Cantes and Mares that have gone on to do really good things, but Mares, like you say. For World Cup year, Mara's went sitting. He didn't really sort of bed in, did he, for the first season and a half? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, you look at Vardy, people who have stayed put, Casper Michael and the how how they've sort of flourished. Yeah. And yeah, I just feel like at his age, it'd just be such a, a rushed move. I mean, he's got years and years to to make these big move moves to big teams and. Yeah, mm. I think like I think like he owes Leicester some more time as well, especially after his leg break and missing most of last yeah. season. I feel like he owes Leicester fans at, at minimum a year or two. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I'm glad it's nice to hear that from a, another football fan's perspective. Because yeah, like I, mean, I don't think this, Leicester has shown time and time again that we are an amazing place for a player to develop, and I mean it is hard to kind of accept that stepping stone label I think there obviously is kind of like connotations with the stepping stone label and people thinking that they don't players don't care about the club but I think for me with being a Leicester fan the reason I'm not so against being called a stepping stone club is because well I understand first and foremost the ambitions that these football players have and obviously there's there are these clubs that are labelled as the big clubs etc but I also feel like these players that we've had the Madisons, the Fafanas, the Tielemans regardless of whether they've got ambitions beyond us we have given them the some of the best some big moments in their career FA Cup wins, Community Shield wins uh, European runs we are offering these players something and there's a reason to stick around it's not, we're not a stepping stone club in the sense of you're going to stay here you're not going to fight for anything and you you literally just stay in here for the good of the club kind of thing. These players, we offer them something as well. And I think that's why it is disappointing with Fafana. Because we're not a small club. Like, in terms of success, recent history, we're one of the most successful clubs in England. And you'd be silly to chuck that away, really. Like, what you could achieve with us. And regardless of whether Madison, Tielemans, they go on and win Premier Leagues elsewhere, they'll always remember, like, winning the FA Cup. I mean... We won. They won our first ever FA Cup in the club's history, and certain things like that. That that's kind of the most important things in football, in my opinion. And having like a real impact on one place, 
and somewhere where you're loved and somewhere that you develop and you can go back to later on in your career and have a good relationship with the fans and become a legend for a team. And there's players that have done that at Leicester. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying Madison, Tielemans, etc. are legends. But yeah, that's all right. I'm waffling a little bit. But I hope Fana stays. And for Leicester fans listening, I'm 50-50 I'm if I'm honest. I think he could go and equally he could stay. I've, I've seen that we are gradually starting to sell players. Sahamza Chowdhury has gone on loan. Vestergaard's been transfer listed. He was going to go to Fulham, but then he blocked the move. I don't know why. So hopefully he goes... Apparently there's a situation with the reserve goalkeeper and getting the third keeper out and then promoting a youngster so you don't have to register him. So then we might have a couple spaces. And I think Leicester will sign a couple of players coming come the end of the season or come at the end of the window, sorry. I think a winger will be brought in. Apparently Rogers wasn't happy about not having Adamola Luckman and that showed at the weekend we had to completely change our formation. Apparently he wanted to play like a a rotational system with his fullbacks where Justin and Pereira kind of came inside, but obviously he wasn't allowed to do that because Barnes got injured and then also Pereira got injured as well. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't really care about this. <laughs> so we'll move on now to Manchester City. Bernardo Silva, a lot of reports suggesting that Barcelona are really in for Bernardo Silva. Reports suggesting that Bernardo Silva is open to the move to Barcelona. Some, some quotes come out yesterday basically saying that Basically saying that Bernardo Silva is going to be amicable with it, and he basically saying he's he doesn't really care. Like he, he'd happily stay at City, he'd happily go Barcelona. Is basically what he was saying. Do you think Bernardo Silva should leave, or I I, I just can't see this happening just because way Barcelona the position they're in, but they keep defying belief. They keep just going like one bit further and just pushing the boundaries of what they shouldn't be able to do. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this one, West? Um, bit, bit like Bernardo Silva's really, not bothered either way. But obviously, to yeah. be fair, I'd prefer him to go to Barcelona because it makes Manchester City a little bit weaker. Um, mm. But yeah, like you say, I don't think it's going to happen at all, especially not this summer. Maybe next summer, depending on how much success Barcelona achieve this season, or maybe January. Yeah. But I just don't see how they can pull eighty million euros or whatever it is. Yeah, but I'm sure they can from somewhere. Yeah, I mean they have they have done that so far. I mean, I don't know. They it's like they keep finding money down the side of the sofa or something. They just keep they're just selling the kind of family china. Like they're literally just gradually just selling everything they've got, like yeah. TV rights. They'll probably sell the mega store soon. Um, Man City are keen. Or what? What our thoughts on that one? So Bernardo Silva, our thoughts are that he's not going to go, but he could go. And I think it is weird that Pep hasn't kind of put his foot down. Or City themselves haven't put their foot down because he's got years left on his contract. Like he doesn't, there's not a need to sell. Last thing to do with Man City, obviously they're keen on Borussia Dortmund left back Rafael Guerrero. At risk of saying it wrong, just quickly, do you think he'd be a good left back for them to bring in? I know a lot. Yeah. I know a bit about him. I know he's an attacking player. Yeah, I think he would. Yeah, I think he improves that what they've got already. So yeah, I think mm. they should go for it. Yeah, that's coming from Sky Sports News as well, so it should be a good source. I know Sky Sports sometimes are a little bit wider than Mark. So lastly, on transfer talk, Ishmael Assar is close to, to joining Leeds, apparently, or Leeds are close to agreeing a deal, at least, with Watford. Just Do you think Saar is kind of the perfect Rafinha replacement? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think you've got someone who's got three or four years' experience in the league, obviously a really talented player. Too good to be playing in the championship, I think. 
How much is it saying it's the prices? Do you know? Because I I'll think you would. I think given his status of a championship player, they probably will be able to get him at a bit more of a cheaper price. So the fees understood to be in the region of fifteen million plus add-ons. Uh, the twenty-four-year-old is discussing personal terms with Leeds and will arrive for medical later later this week if all goes to plan. I can't see it not going to plan. I think I think he's the perfect replacement yeah. for Rafinha, and I think it would be possibly their best piece of business leads this window i mean people are saying brendan harrison started well but i think it's so it he's got that ability to win matches so and he's obviously someone that's been kind of on the radar for a long time and i think people expected him to leave watford sooner than he has yeah but yeah no I, I think that's someone that would would definitely be a good signing for leeds and it's really important that they do replace rafinha they need match a match winner in that team and I think Saar can, can definitely offer that. Now we're going to lastly, just to finish off the episode, we're going to have a little FPL hangover. Let, I'm just going to get my team up now. Obviously, we're going to be giving away our secrets here. Westy, so yeah, I think, tell the listeners, mate, um, what happened last week. I am bottom of my own league, which yeah, is... Westy started a league and he's bottom. I've started a league and it has 31 players in and I am currently 31st so <laughs> a really really positive start and I did what made it worse is I got a notification from FPL about two days ago saying 33 points this week Henry certainly something to build on <laughs> I thought exactly oh, it's not a good start so, I think Westy are you not thinking big uh, an overhaul is that not what you're not thinking that I've not got the the capacity to do that mate to be honest you're not thinking about a wild card maybe uh, no I'm gonna you know I'm gonna stick I've, so I've made one I'll tell the listeners a, um, something really clever that I did last Friday um, I decided to take Erling Haaland out of my team and replace him with Ronaldo uh, <laughs> and that one came off like a house on fire yeah um, that's your bias coming through that mate no it wasn't it was actually good thinking there uh, the thinking was that was it though? that Harden looked a bit struggled a little bit in the community shield. I thought, we you know what, West Ham away, it's it's a it's a tough opening day fixture. Yeah, he might score one maybe, but I thought, you know what, Martial's injured for United. United at home, positive start, new manager, Ronaldo will start, get a little brace or something. There we go, off and running. He didn't start and he came on and barely touched the ball, so Yeah, it was good thinking up until like it, when it actually happened yeah. in the actual game week. I mean Go off my team I had a little bit of a nightmare I had a similar nightmare with with relating to Haaland but I went for Kane um, and obviously now it was going to be a straight swap for me but obviously I didn't even think that Haaland's gone up in price and now Kane's gone down so I can't even do the straight swap and I've got basically so I've got two leagues I've got the league that I'm in with you and then we've I've got like a family league which is a head to head so each week you play against some different this week I've got my cousin Ben. Um, he might be listening. I'm not sure, um, but I'm up against him, and I think he's like the champion. Basically, he wins this league every year. So I'm debating whether to do that free hit. Do you know where you get completely gets changed your team and then it switch back switches back? So that means I'd have two transfers for next week. I'm considering doing it. What, Obviously, if there's any FPL experts out there, me and Westy are very much casual FPL players Very casual. as you can tell from Westy's score of 33 I got 54 
Oh, you're not. Which is middle of the road, I think. Just yeah. below average. But average is 57. It's just disappointing, really. I mean, yeah, 78 points is the, the leading pack at the moment. Mm. Strange, if, strange, strange people. Really yeah. strange people. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get how people are good at no, it. Jack Sedgley, I mean, strange person. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, I think Jack won it last year as well. Or he won his own league. He's definitely someone to keep an eye on. Should definitely never have let him join the, the league, really. No, no, we shouldn't have. Yeah, so for me, in terms of I'm considering a free hit, or I think I just sometimes don't take my own advice. Like I said, Session Young, I think, will play over Perisic. But then other I, let, I looked at other FPL experts and they told me Perisic was definitely going to play. Played in pre season. So I put, went for Perisic, Ryan Sessegnon starts, he scores a goal as well. And then also, Keenan Jujby Hall, for me, he was the steal. Five million, I thought. He's definitely going to get a goal against Brentford. Obviously, I didn't go for him, and he does get a goal against Brentford. I just need to start taking my own advice, and I think I need to start taking more risks with it. I, I play it too safe sometimes. Like I've, I just kind of go for the players that are recommended. I think Martinelli was a good pick for me. Salah was obviously he kind of saved my weekend really. Salah captain as well. Who are you considering captain in this weekend? Um, but you haven't got Salah, have you? No. Have you got Son? No. Lad, you are clueless. You what? are clueless. Though. What I've got, I've got? You need either got, Salah or I've Son. Got, I've got Kane or then Haaland. I've got Kane. I've got De Bruyne. Oh, I can see another bleak weekend. So um, I think I'm going to uh, captain De Bruyne at home to Bournemouth. Yeah, fair play. Could work. I really think you need to get Salah or Son or someone in. I think maybe we need to recruit an FPL expert to join us on the podcast. I think that might be quite good. Could help us both out. I think we need it by the looks of it. Anyway, we're going to round off the episode there. A really enjoyable episode. I hope you guys like the new format. We tried to bring in some more segments, kind of make it a little bit more concise, a bit more flowing maybe, a bit fluid, just like Arsenal's attacking play last weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. Me, you know. <laughs> beat, beat, a le- beat a leggy Crystal Palace team when you've left <laughs> yeah I hope you guys have enjoyed it have you enjoyed the episode Westy you don't look too sweaty over there no no I'm absolutely bone dry mate oh nice yeah. mate nice glad to hear um, yeah so thanks for listening guys um, obviously we're going to try and be doing this weekly now because um, I think if we bring in the different segments things like that make it a little bit shorter form but yeah no I hope you guys have enjoyed it We've certainly enjoyed doing it. If you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to follow it. Click the notifications on as well so you know when a new episode drops. If you want to interact, if you want to see some more kind of written content, match reports, etc., then head over to Divided Opinion on Instagram at Divided Opinion, that is. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.